Welcome back to our digital worship service this morning. We're excited that you're joining us today. You know, this year it's been kind of easy to get down, but I don't want you to be discouraged. I think we have reason for some spiritual encouragement this morning from our lesson. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about a lesson that we learn and can only learn the difficult way. So I hope that These thoughts will be a blessing to you, that they'll encourage you, that they'll spur you on to to greater faithfulness in God's kingdom. This morning as we worship, let's focus in our minds and praise our Creator.
This morning I want to tell you two stories, one from the beginning of Israel's history and one toward the end of it. We're going to begin with Hannah's story. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, you meet a lady named Hannah. Uh, she has no children. She's married to a man named Elkanah. He is a good man. She's a good woman. Um, but they don't have any children, and she has been wanting children for a very long time now. She prays to the Lord to uh, be able to have a son, and she says, uh, makes this promise that if the Lord will give her a son, she will give him back to the Lord. Now, Elkanah, like I said, is a good and righteous man, and he loves Hannah. Uh, Elkanah is married to two women. Uh, Paniah has several children, apparently, and Hannah has none. But Elkanah loves Hannah more than he loves Paniah, so he gives her a double portion. You should go back through and you should read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, it's a really interesting story, just how it starts off with Samuel's mother and goes all the way through the end of Samuel's life. But what's interesting to me today is that he gives, Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion, but it's still not good enough. Uh, he would have given her twice the amount of food that he had given uh, Paniah and her, her children. Um, and he thinks that that's going to make up for the lack of a son. He even says, am I not worth ten sons to you? And Hannah doesn't answer, but the obvious answer is no, you're, you're not. Um, she wants a, a son. And this double portion isn't going to cut it. It's not enough. It's not worth one son. Hold on to Hannah's story and then fast forward with me uh, toward the end of Israel's history to the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is the one most scholars think writes this, this book. Most people think that he was sitting on top of a hill overlooking Jerusalem as it burns. Jerusalem has at this point been overtaken by the Babylonians. And they are uh, raising Jerusalem. The, the, the nation is no longer uh, a nation. Let's go back in time just a little bit to kind of set the scene for you before we go on into why we're studying Lamentations uh, today and talking a little bit more about hope. So when David dies, his son Solomon takes over the kingdom. After Solomon reigns uh, for 40 years, he dies. His son Rehoboam takes over the kingdom. Rehoboam is not a good king um, and doesn't really have his finger on the pulse of the people. Because of that, uh, the kingdom splits. Ten tribes of Israel go up to the north and they start a brand new kingdom um, known as Ephraim in Scripture. And they are the northern kingdom of Israel, their own independent kingdom. They have their own uh, king. They have their own religion. They have uh, their own capital city. They are their own entity now. They're, they're the northern nation of Israel, known as Ephraim in the Old Testament. The southern nation of Judah or Jerusalem uh, maintains two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And they will continue the Davidic dynasty. The, the kings that uh, descend from David will sit on that throne. The kings that are in the northern nation don't... Um, follow any one genealogy. They're all from, they're, they're just random people who are big enough and powerful enough to take over the throne. 
This northern nation is going to worship false idols for about 200 years. Eventually, God's going to get tired uh, of their um, idolatry and their immorality, and he's going to punish them. He's going to send in the, Assyri the Assyrians, uh, and they're going to uh, take over the kingdom in about 722 B.C. Uh, the northern nation of Judah, uh, of Israel, is destroyed. About 136 years later, in 586 B.C., the southern nation of Judah is going to be destroyed. That's when, where we find Jeremiah sitting on top of a hill watching as Jerusalem burns and his people are being led off into slavery by a foreign power. The thing that's got to rankle Jeremiah, maybe more than anything else, is that this is 100% avoidable. This could have been avoided. In fact, Jeremiah has been preaching against uh, Israel for a very long time. His own people, he's been preaching against them because he saw this day coming. In fact, God told him that this day was going to come. If Israel did not repent, God was going to punish them. And finally, the day has come here, and Jeremiah uh, is, is broken. Lamentations is an interesting book. It is filled with hope, but it's also obviously filled with sorrow. Uh, lamentations, uh, even its name, there's, there's, there's hurt and pain caught up in this book. Uh, Jeremiah, in fact, is known as the weeping prophet because of this book. So just look through the first uh, part of Lamentations chapter 3 with me just real quick. Uh, I'd like for you to go back through and read this section uh, of Lamentations 3. And just kind of pick it apart. But right now, I'm just going to run through it very quickly for you and provide a very quick summary. Um, if you, As you read through this, you're going to hear thoughts like these from Jeremiah. I've been forced into complete darkness, and God has turned His back on me. I am surrounded by pain, and there's no escape. I was blindsided and used as target practice. Even the people closest to me are mocking me. I've lost all hope. All he can see is darkness. But then you come to verse 21. And something interesting happens in verse 21. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, all this darkness, all this pain is just in Golfing me, it's enveloping me, I can't see a way out of it. But then I remembered something, and it caused me to have hope, a surety, right? Because that's what hope is. It's a firm belief that something's going to happen. It's not like a wish, like we would use hope. But he's talking about a firm belief. He, he knows that this thing's going to happen. And so, what is this thing that has brought him out of this incredible darkness? Well, Let's read what he says in verse 22. This is what he remembered. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. Picture Jeremiah, tattered clothes, ash 
stricken face. He's probably dirty. He may be bleeding. He's sitting on top of this hill watching and, and weeping as his people are led into slavery, as his city burns. And he says these words, the committed love, the steadfast love. We talked about this word a couple of weeks ago when we were in our study uh, through, through the Psalms in Psalm 117. And I'll link it, uh, that, that sermon, after uh, this one's over, after this, this uh, series is over, I'll, I'll link that in the com in the on your video. So if you didn't go, if you didn't watch that one, go back through and watch that one. Um, but this steadfast love, it's committed love. It's love that says, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to stay with you, no matter what. And a great picture of that from the Old Testament is the life of the prophet Hosea. Uh, no matter what his wife did, betrayal after painful betrayal, Hosea was always there for her. And it's a picture of God always being there for his people. As Jerusalem burns, Jeremiah looks across the city and he says, You know what? You can begin to see the hope swelling in him. God's committed love. It never ends. He didn't leave us. He hasn't forsaken us. He's still right here in the midst of this pain with me. And His mercies never come to an end. In fact, there's new ones every single morning. Every single morning His mercies are new. And Jeremiah could even say, Great is your faithfulness. You've been so incredibly faithful to us. Yahweh, Lord, your faithfulness is astonishing to us. And when you go back through and you look at the betrayals that, that Israel has enacted on Yahweh, His faithfulness is incredible to them. They are being punished by the, at this point, but their relationship with God is not over, not even close to it. That doesn't end until the cross when he makes a brand new people. And are the Jews allowed into that group? Of course they are. Uh, they're the firstborn, right? They're the first ones that are going to come into to this new kingdom. And so his relationship uh, with them at this point in Jerusalem as Jeremiah is looking over the city and everything looks bleak and dark and it doesn't look like you can have any possible hope. Jeremiah says, your, your steadfast love is right here. You're committed to us. And even though things look dark and bleak now, I know that you're committed to me and I believe that you're going to turn all this into something that's good for my benefit What's really interesting is what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion. What's he mean by that, you think? What's it mean that the Lord is his portion? Now, hold on to that thought and go back to Hannah's story. Remember how she was given a double portion? She was given twice the amount of things that the other people were given? Jeremiah is saying, the Lord belongs to me. He's my portion. 
What's he mean though? Like practically for us, what's it mean that the Lord belongs to us? He's my portion. I think Jeremiah is saying that he trusts God in a deeper, more profound way now than he ever has before. He understands that the Lord is for him. There's this incredible verse uh, in, in Job um, 7, verse 18, where Job says that God's heart is set with him. It's, he, God's heart is for mankind. And Jeremiah has finally, in a way that even he has never grabbed a hold of that fact, he's, he's, he's understanding it now in a deeper, more profound way than even he's understood it before. The Lord is, is his. He, he trusts in him. No matter what's going on in Jerusalem, no matter what's going on with his people that he has spent his lifetime preaching to, begging them to repent. No matter what's happening to them, Jeremiah says, I've got the Lord and, and that's enough for me. Now, you remember Hannah's story. The double portion was not enough for her. But as she has a son, as Samuel grows and she gives the boy back over to the Lord as she had promised him that she would, I think she too could say that the Lord is her portion. We're not, we're not told that in Scripture. But just kind of reading between the lines, I think if we were to have a conversation with Hannah, I think she would say that her trust in God increased exponentially after Samuel was born and after she gave him over to the Lord. Was that not the hardest thing she would have ever had to do? I think it probably would have been to let this son go that she had been longing for for so long. He had finally been given to her and now she's going to let him go. and She gets to see him one time a year. That would have been incredibly difficult, very heartbreaking. But I think she would say, even after that, especially after giving Samuel back over to the Lord, that the Lord is her portion. Just like you find Jeremiah saying that here, there's something profound that we need to learn from this passage, and we can't learn it from any other place other than the book of Lamentations. Other than a time when the prophet is in an incredibly difficult situation. Because, frankly, the only time we get to learn this lesson is as we walk through fire, as we walk through pain. It's the only way we can learn this lesson. It's kind of like uh, changing a tire. I can tell you how to change a tire, right? You can watch videos about how to change a tire, but until you actually do it, you don't know how. Uh, same thing with cooking. Uh, I can show you video after video of Rachel Ray cooking uh, a, a dish, right? But until you actually have the ingredients in your hands and you're mixing them together and you're figuring out the temperatures uh, on the oven, you don't actually know how to do it. It's kind of like riding a bike, right? You can have someone explain it to you a billion different ways. But until you actually do it, 
until you take the training wheels off and start going, you don't actually know how to do it. This is, this is the exact same way, unfortunately. There are some lessons that can only be, be learned one way. This particular lesson that we're learning today can only come through pain. We don't have the opportunity to learn this lesson on sunny days. When everything's going well in our lives, we, don't, we can't learn this lesson. This lesson is only for those that have walked through incredible pain. Those that have walked through incredible anxiety. The Lord is my portion. I think for those of us that, that haven't had that kind of pain... We can say that, right? But only to the ones that have walked through immense pain, incredible heartbreak. The Lord, as their portion, their trust in the Lord is deeper than those of us who haven't had to walk through that kind of pain. Their faith is greater, right? In James 1, Verses 2 through 3, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, because you know that this works to the good, right? It makes your faith steadfast, immovable, immovable. There are some lessons you only learn the hard way. This is one of those things. This incredible trust that Jeremiah, that Hannah now has in the Lord can only be learned through incredible pain. This year we've been going through some things that are difficult, aren't they? They're tough. A lot of us have had a lot of anxiety, been very concerned about how things are going. We've been given an opportunity here, a silver lining to 2020. Is this opportunity to trust in the Lord like we've never done before. Maybe you're going through uh, COVID right now. Maybe you're going through cancer or some other type of sickness. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe it's just panic and anxiety has overcome you. You have an opportunity in the midst of this incredible pain that you're going through to trust the Lord like you've never done before. And if you can do that, if you can understand that you're not really in control anyhow, and that He will work together all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, He will eventually bring good out of your pain. If you can understand those things on the other side of your pain, your faith will be so much bigger, so much deeper, which is what we're really looking for, right? Because like we talked about last week, this world, it's not my home. The things here are temporary. They're going to be burned up. And so I'm looking for things that are stable. I'm looking for things that are eternal. Faith is one of those things that gets me there. And so as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death here, if I can trust in Him... Through all that pain, if I cannot try to take back control, if I cannot worry and be so anxiety-ridden about what's going on, trying to fix it myself, if I can trust in Him, my faith 
on the other side of that incredible, incredibly dark valley will be so much bigger that it will be a blessing to me and everyone who's around me. Unfortunately, that blessing, that kind of deep faith, only comes through pain. So we've got an opportunity right now in the midst of a countrywide, a worldwide pain to really put our trust in the Lord, to make Him and Him alone our portion. A lot of times we want to try to trust in the Lord, but also some other things. He says, that's, that's not how this works. You trust in me, and I'll grow your faith. And eventually, you'll be able to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right before they're tossed into the fire, even if he doesn't save us. We're still going to believe. We still wouldn't make any other choice. Now, is that a profound faith? You bet it is. Well, Why? Because they had already walked through decades of slavery and pain in Babylonian society. They had already been through decades of being the outcast, of being ridiculed. Their faith had been, was so big at that point, even if God doesn't save us, even if He allows us to die, we wouldn't have made another choice and we're going to stay with Him no matter what happens. I want a faith like that. I want us to have a faith like that. That kind of faith only comes from profound darkness. It only comes through profound pain. And so if you're in the midst of that right now, you have an opportunity to do something incredible that will bless you for years to come, that will bless your family and your friends and all those who are around you for years to come, but will ultimately bless you for eternity. There's a silver lining in all of this. There are some things, this great, profound faith being one of them, that we only learn the hard way. Unfortunately, we've been given an opportunity to learn it the hard way this year. Take advantage of it. Trust in Him. He is good and He will come through for you every single time. Even if He doesn't preserve your life, He'll come through for you every single time.
Good morning. This is the time of our worship service that we have set aside uh, to uh, remember Jesus' sacrifice, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 26 and start with verse 26. And it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, in chapter 26, Jesus was preparing the disciples for some things that were getting ready to happen. And he had just uh, earlier before that, in the verses before that, he was talking about his betrayal. And this goes on with that. And it talks about uh, Jesus's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and how that he went to pray and, and he told his disciples to stay there and wait. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And when they got there, he told them to sit there and he went a little farther and he prayed and he come back and he found them asleep. And, and we know that this happened three times and Jesus found them asleep all the time. And then uh, also he had told Peter uh, to before the cock crowed twice that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter said, no, he said, I will die for you. And Jesus was preparing them as, as what was going to come. And uh, so that they would believe when they saw it take place that that they would know what Jesus was talking about. So finally, when uh, when Jesus came back and found them asleep again for the third time, he told them to sleep on and, and get some rest. And then in verse 46, it says, Jesus said, get up, let us go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. And when I think about that, I think what a long night that that must have been for Jesus because Jesus knowing everything and, and knowing people's thoughts, knowing their actions, knowing what was going to happen to him, it had to be such a long night. And then with his disciples uh, falling asleep on him and, and uh, he said, can't you stay awake, you know, for this? But, uh, and also we know that he prayed to God, you know, to, to let this cup pass from me. He said, that, but not my will, but uh, your will be done. So this morning, I just want to remind us that Jesus died for us on the cross. And, and, and Jesus had a choice, but uh, Jesus made that choice to die for us because he loves us so much. So, if you would, bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, time that we can gather here. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can surround this table together, Father, and think about uh, your son Jesus. Think about his sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And, and Father, we know that no one took his life from him, that, that he laid it down willingly for us. We pray, Father, that you'll bless this bread that represents his body. Bless us as we take of it. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. And then the fruit of the vine, which represents Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, that uh, we know that without his blood, there'll be no remission of sins. And as we take this cup, let's remember that, and uh, that we know that Jesus died for each and every one of us. Bow with me. Father, we continue to give you thanks for your son. Thankful, Father, that, uh, that he died on the cross for us. And, and we know that's the only hope that we have, Father, is uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and we're thankful for that blood. And we pray that you'll bless this fruit of the vine that represents it. Bless us as we take it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes our Lord's Supper, but, but uh, while there's another uh, opportunity that, that we have, an obligation that we have, uh, is giving, and we are truly blessed. Uh, you know, we've said many times we just need to look around at the building, the things that we have, and, and, and our families, and our spiritual blessings, uh, material blessings. God truly does take care of us and and we want to remember that and be thankful for what we have and and so we need to continue to give even though we're not able to meet we still have uh, obligations to meet and uh, we just want to remind everyone that uh, that we do have to give and we do have people come on Saturdays and give and and people mail in their offerings and uh, we just need to continue that, and hopefully uh, one day we'll be back together. And uh, so let's give thanks for our blessings. Father, we do thank you, Father, for this whole congregation. We thank you, Father, for all that we have, all good things we know comes from you. And Father, we pray that you'll bless us. We pray that you will uh, bless this offering, Father, that it will be used to, to glorify you in everything that we do. Thank you, Father, for this congregation. Thank you for all that we have. Thank you for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Hope everyone enjoyed the lesson. We're thankful for Chris and his family and David and his family as they worship with us and direct us through this virtual services that we've been doing now for some time. Hopefully on January the 31st, we can be back at the building and this COVID outbreak will slow down. Today's uh, video, I'm doing these on Friday the 15th, so everything that I tell you is updated through today, and if something happens later today or tomorrow, we probably won't have it. But anyway, Dean Cooper is recovering at home. Continue to keep Dean and Mary Alice in your prayers. Also, the Williams family, the Ward family, and I've heard that, and the Andy Pittman family all have COVID. So keep them in your prayers. Add to your prayers Jody Spitzer. This is Terrell Spitzer's son. He has tested positive for COVID. Mentioned last week that Carol Galloway was going to have surgery for removal of a kidney. This has been postponed. Clinton had a cardiologist visit this week and went well. He does have some valve leakage and a little bit of blockage, but keep him in your prayers and this will be taken care of with medication. Mary Haynes has asked for prayers for her stepdad recently and he passed away this past Thursday. So keep Mary Haynes and her family at this difficult time in her life. Also keep Rusty as he continues his treatment in your prayers and Kristen as she continues to fight the tumor. As of now, that's all the announcements that I've got. I'd like to read to you from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, if you'd like to follow along. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not upon thine own understandings. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for another day of life, for this beautiful day you've given us. For your son who came and died for us, we're thankful. We're thankful for the many blessings of this life, for the land in which we live, for the community in which we live. And we pray, Father, that we let our light shine to where it's pleasing unto you. We ask your blessings on Dean Cooper and Mary Alice and the Williams Wards and the Pittman's family and Terrell's son, Jody, fighting the COVID. We pray that you continue to be with Carol and, and pray that uh, she can have the kidney stone removed. And, and we're thankful for Clinton's report. Pray that he can, uh, that the doctors can, can help him with the medication. Father, be with Mary Haynes at the passing of her stepdad, Mike. Bless her family. Bless those and pray that... Uh, you give them strength and courage through this difficult time. We continue, Father, to ask that you bless Kristen and Rusty and Frank and Virginia and all of our others, Father, that are sick and, and we haven't got to see in a while. Pray you bless them and that they can improve. And we hope, Father, on January the 31st that we can all be back together again. We pray for our country. We pray that uh, things go well this week. That as 
one president leaves and another one begins his time of service, we pray that you bless each one and, and bless our country, that, that we can stop the fighting and, and, and learn to get along with each other. Bless us, Father, as we go forward. We're thankful for all the many blessings you've given us. We ask that you forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray. And amen. Let's stand.